and uh, we'll see how far we get today. I have really enjoyed already just the few chapters we've gone through in Nehemiah. It's taken some time because there's been so much in it. Chapter number two had an awful lot in it as we got to the very end of the chapter especially. Uh, we find uh, in verses number 17 and 18 uh, how uh, Nehemiah um, is now finally presenting the work to the people, and the people are pricked in their hearts. They understand it. And the Bible says, they said in, in verse number 18, they said, meaning the people that heard it, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And they were willing to do the work, and they prepared themselves to do the work, and they recognized that it was a good work. We've been teaching and preaching on revival and the power of God in the last several Wednesday nights. And one of the most difficult things with regards to having revival in our hearts and a stirring there is the time of preparation that it takes to get our hearts in a place where God can do something amazing. Um, I'm reminded of the disciples when Jesus ascended up into heaven. He told them the Great Commission, and we preach on the Great Commission an awful lot about going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. But he did tell them, he said, But I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so for the next several days until Pentecost came, they met in an upper room, and there were about 120 of them or so, and they prayed together. And the Bible says they were in one accord in prayer and supplication. And uh, the women also were with them. And so they were praying. And uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what they were praying for, but I think within the context, it certainly would be safe to say that at least one of the things they were praying for was for what God had promised or what Jesus had promised was going to happen. And that was for the Spirit of God to come upon them. If you could put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute and, and, and realize that they have seen all the things that they saw. They saw the miracles of Jesus. They were in the boat when the storm came and Jesus said, Peace be still. They were there when Peter stepped out on the boat and walked out to Jesus who was walking on the water. They saw these things. They saw Him bring uh, the dead back to life when He yelled out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, and here He comes out of the grave. These disciples had seen all this. And then Jesus tells them, He says, I'm leaving, I'm going, and now I want you to take what you've seen, what you've heard, and I want you to go into all the world, I want you to preach it to every creature, can you imagine how excited they were to go do that? I mean, if we had been there, if we had witnessed it with our own eyes and seen our, and handled Jesus with our own hands and had been around Him, the, the joy and the zeal, the excitement, we would have to be ready to go. And I'll tell you, I've been in church services where all that we did was hear about what God had done. And I've left there so charged up I was ready to go. Could you imagine being in the presence of Jesus Christ? Hearing Him say, go into all the world. And these folks are chomping at the bit to go. But He told them, He said, don't go yet. <laughs> I want you to wait until you're endued with power from on high. They prepared themselves for the move of God that came on Pentecost. They went and gave themselves to prayer and to supplication. They spent the time fasting and praying and seeking for God. And I think that some of the great... Failures. In fact, John R. Rice said it best, I believe. He said, in my life, all of the failures of my life have been prayer failures. I failed to pray for it. I failed to pray and ask God for these things. And he firmly believed that every failure in his Christian life was 
the result of a prayer failure. I'm not so sure that he's wrong on that. I believe that there's an awful lot of failures in our lives that are coming back to the thing that we're not really prepared for what God wants to do in us. And so these folks, they prepared themselves for the work. They realized it was a good work. And in verse number 19 and 20, we find that they got some ridicule from Samballot, Tobiah, and Gershom. Gershom. And uh, verse number 20, I like, I like uh, Nehemiah's answer. He says, Then answered I them and said, them, uh, said unto them, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. What does it take to stop you? <laughs> we ended with that last week in our Sunday school class. Does, does a little bit of ridicule, does a little bit of uh, somebody getting on to you and, and saying, I don't believe that you're doing right, I don't believe that God is doing this in your life, <clears throat> what does it take to stop you? I'd like to think I have a pretty tough hide. And that if somebody ridiculed me, gave me a hard time, really uh, sunk their teeth into me to try to get me to quit, I think I'd try to keep going, just pursuing after that. But I often wonder, until that time comes, I wonder what would happen. Would I, would I be ready and willing to continue in spite of the persecution? Or would I quit? When I say it's too much, it's too tough. So I like, I like the end of... Uh, Nehemiah is just a normal man, by the way. He's not, he's not this great spiritual leader. He's not the big priest uh, that people look up to for spiritual leadership. Uh, he's not a prophet. He's just a cupbearer to the king. He's just a, a normal man. And that's one of the things I find amazing about Nehemiah is that God can take somebody, just, just, un, just a usual, normal, ordinary person, and He can do something extraordinary through them, through His power. And all we have to do is be willing. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. <coughs> and Nehemiah is one of those men. So that brings us down in verse number 20. He says, Therefore we as servants will arise and build, but we have, but ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, Sambalat, Tobiah, uh, Gisham, uh, you're not going to have any... Uh, Prominence, you're not going to have whatever uh, leadership or prominence or uh, um, uh, esteem they were held in at that day, and they had some apparently. He said, You're not going to have any. When we get this all done, you're not going to get the credit for it. You're not going to be the ones that people look to and say, Boy, these people helped lead us to this. He said, You're not going to have any portion in this. When we're done, people are going to understand that it was God and God alone who did this. And we get to verse number three, and I love verse chapter number three. And, and you read it, and sometimes you think, you, you ever try to read through, when you're reading through your Bible, you ever go through the genealogies and think, why in the world am I reading all this? <laughs> there are some good things, even in the genealogies, there's little tidbits and things in there. Chapter 3 is a lot of um, so-and-so did this, and he did this to this portion, so-and-so did that, and he did that this portion. I want to teach a couple things, uh, first of all, about that. And then I want us to look at, there's something very unique here. God in His perfect and infinite wisdom oftentimes, I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just because of how perfect He is when He does things, but uh, there are times that there are things pictured in Scripture that you don't, look, you don't see right off the bat. You have to kind of dig for them a little bit. I'll give you a for instance. And there are some people that may disagree with me on this, and that's fine because it's not something I can prove in in Scripture, But if you take a time to read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, there are seven letters written to seven literal churches that were in existence at the time. 
But it's interesting, and there's been people that have taught this in the past, it's interesting how closely the description of each of those churches line up to different periods of time in the church and throughout history of the church from the time of Christ till the present day. And how there was a period of time that this church, that the church was noted as uh, characterized by these same, same traits. And if you take those seven churches in order, you can, you can go down through church history and say, okay, boy, this, the church at this time matched that church. And the church at this time matched that church. Now, some people say that was coincidence. Some people say, no, that's God trying to show us uh, that there was uh, going to be these characteristics down through the church age. Some people teach that we're living in the last days of the last church of the Laodiceans where they thought that they were uh, rich and increased with goods and knew not that they were poor and wretched and naked and blind. And uh, that seems to characterize the church we live in today, doesn't it? They're the, the general consensus of it. And you may believe in that or you may not believe in that, and that's fine. But it's interesting to note that there are oftentimes in Scripture that whether God intended to or not, it seems like they line up that way. And there's some pictures that are given in there sometimes that, uh, I, and I'm not going to try to over-spiritualize Scripture, but it's interesting to note. And I just am going to make the note and we're going to move on. But I want to see a couple of things here. Let's start in verse number 1 of chapter 3. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Now, I, if you're interesting to note that the sheep gate is the first one mentioned. <clears throat> they sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Emery. Now, you're going to see this phrase, and next unto him or and next unto them, over and over and over and over again in this, in this chapter. You say, Brother Greg, why is that important? Because these people, the Bible said in verse number, chapter number 2, that these people had a mind to work. That they set themselves forward. The Bible says in verse number, um, verse number 18 of chapter 2, And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the work. They came together all in one accord when they saw the need. There was a need that God had that, that He... Uh, wanted them to do. There was a, a, a work that he had for them to do. And the Bible says that they all came together to do it. Uh, it wasn't... You know, there's, a, there's a thing that, that is taught oftentimes in, in, uh, when we go to Bible colleges or Bible conferences and pastors go there a lot of times. And, and the thing that is said oftentimes is that in our churches, typically, you have about 10% of the people that do 90% of the work. And you have about 90% of the people that do about 10% of the work. And the truth of the matter is, in the day that we live, oftentimes in churches, that holds true. I'm thankful our church is, is a lot better than that. Boy, our people just seem almost overly so come and say, Pastor, what can we do to help? But typically, in our churches today, that's, that's a general rule of thumb for people. And I love what this, this book talks about, or this chapter talks about, where it says that next to them built so-and-so. Next to them, next unto them, and right down the line. And we see everybody from the priests, which is where it started. I think that, uh, that uh, the uh, religious leaders ought to set the examples. I believe there's a, a lesson taught here of spiritual leadership. Not that they're any more important than anyone else, but because of the office they hold, they are an example whether they want to be or not. There's something that they are to emulate with being Christ-like. To let people look and say, this is what God wants in our lives, that we ought to live this way. And so they sanctify. It's interesting that you see this. 
They sanctify their work. They set it apart. They make sure it's clean for the work of the Lord. And uh, so we find that they do this. Uh, verse number uh, 3. Uh, but the fish gate, so the next one is the fish gate, did the sons of Hassaniah uh, uh, build, and who also laid the beams thereof, and set forth set the doors, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired um, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshez, uh, Beal, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of uh, Banna, and next unto them the Tekoites repaired. Now notice this. But their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Now, this is the only group of people that it made that statement of about their nobles. They were too good. Can I encourage you in this? We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. I was talking to my son about this yesterday. I wonder oftentimes how Jesus would treat people in the day and age that we live. If he was a member of Keith Heights Baptist Church and he came across sinners throughout his daily life, I wonder how he would treat them. We almost sometimes get a, a mindset that because we're Christians that we are above such things. And that these lowly sinners down here, they just don't deserve it. The Pharisees were like that. Jesus, Jesus condemned those Pharisees for that kind of an attitude. The Bible says that Jesus went and sat with the publicans and sinners. He went to their houses and he had dinner with them. And he was even criticized for it. Now, he did not condone their sin. And I'm not at all saying you and I need to go out here and live like the sinners to be accepted by them. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus was absolutely separated and different but he went to the sinners and he showed compassion on them and love to them and said, listen, let me help you with something here. And so often, if we're not careful, we will become a, an island unto ourselves as a Christian and we will only associate with other Christians and we'll never get out here and roll our sleeves up and walk into the mud and see our, our sinners that are out here that need to be saved and help reach them with the gospel. And again, I'm not talking about condoning their sin or participating in their sin. But somebody needs to show them that somebody cares for them. They need to see a God that loves them and came to save them. Because I'll be real frank with you. I'm glad somebody did that for me one day. And had somebody not been concerned enough about my soul, I would be lost today. Jesus didn't come so that He could win the righteous. He said He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to bring the righteous to repentance. He came to reach out to the sinners. And I, I want to encourage us as a church, don't ever be too good to go to someone who's lost. I don't care how wicked their life is. And love them to Christ. And show them the gospel. Be a testimony to them. Show them the love of God. Show them the separation and the sanctification that God has put in your life. Show them the joy of the Christian life. I like what Brother Kenny said. If you get to where that fire just burns inside of you. You just can't hardly contain it. I think that's great for Christians to see, but even greater for someone who's lost to see. I want to encourage us in this, that we not get to the place where we think we're above such things. 
these nobles put not their hand to the nor their necks to the work. Verse number six. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoi, uh, Jehoiada the son of Pezet, uh, and Meshulam the son of Besodia. Uh, they laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. They didn't do the job halfway. Another lesson. They didn't do the job halfway. Can I encourage you in this? God always deserves our best. You say, Brother Greg, I can't do what somebody else can do. No, but you can do your best. You can give it all. I'm thankful that when Jesus told the parable of the talents, that the man who only had three talents and got three more received the same commendation from his master as the one who had five and gained another five. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The criteria was not on the prosperous servant, but on the servant that was faithful. I cannot do all the things that other preachers can do. And I may not have the same talents that other preachers have. But there's one thing I can certainly do as good as anybody else, and that is I can be faithful. And by the way, the same holds for you. You may say, Brother Greg, I don't have any talents. God didn't give me all this things. I, I can't be used as one. But you can be faithful. And you can give the very best that you have to the Lord. We oftentimes seem to give God the leftovers. We give Him the token of our time. We give Him the token of our energy. We give Him the token of our life. God, I'm going to do what I want to do, and when I get done, whatever I have left, it's all yours. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to give it to you first. This group of people in verse number 6, they want to make sure that it was thoroughly done. I mean, they did it all. They set the beams, they set the doors, they set the locks, they set the bars. When they were done, the job was finished. They got to the end of the job, and I believe they were able to, as Paul said, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Oh, that we could run faithfully. Verse number 8. Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Herahiah, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. I think that's an interesting verse. Here you got the, the goldsmiths. These are highly skilled, highly trained, highly talented metallurgical uh, men that are craftsmen beyond measure. When you start hearing of some of the ornate things that these men who were gifted in this area did for the temple of God later on as they were building it, uh, it's amazing the skill of these men. And, and they said that these goldsmiths, these men that were uh, highly, uh, highly looked to and said, boy, these guys are really talented. They've got a lot of gift, gift with them. And then you got the apothecaries. These are the people that are just they're keeping the, the store. They're helping try to keep people well. They're maybe not quite as skilled as the goldsmiths. Can I tell you this? God can use all kinds. Some of us look and say, boy, I just wish I could be like that person over there because if I was, I could do so much more for the Lord. No. Bloom where you're planted. We taught our young people this week at Vacation Bible School on day two that God had a plan for their life. And it was different. It wasn't the same as the person right next to them. And God's plan for your life is not the same as it is for mine. But He has a plan. And you can't look at it and say, boy, I wish God had a different plan for me. No, rejoice in the one He gave you. And do it. Bloom where you're planted. And uh, I like that, that God puts this in Scripture in verse number 8. Now, I want to give you, uh, we're not going to get into this. I, you know, we're going to have to wait until next week. I've got something so exciting to give you out of chapter number 3. I can't hardly contain it. And if I go a whole week without telling somebody, it'll be a miracle. 
because it's pretty exciting. So don't miss next Sunday, all right? Uh, as they used to say on the old-time uh, radio show, the same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, boy, don't miss it. I'm, I'm so excited to show this to you out of chapter number three. Uh, it's very, very encouraging to me. And so uh, we'll do. I was going to try to get to it, and I just there's no way we can get it done by this by the time we need to. So we'll save it for next week. All right. If the rapture happens, we'll let the Lord teach it because He'll do a lot better job at it than I will anyway. Okay. All right. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it in our lives. Father, may we learn from it. I pray that You'd help us to yield ourselves and uh, Father those areas that so often we just take it, take for granted that uh, we're going to keep those to ourselves. We're not going to give those to you. Lord, may you even help to prod those little things out of our lives. Help us to see them.